Preface of the Treatises of Benvenuto Cellini on Goldsmithing and Sculpture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rob Marland. The Treatises of Benvenuto Cellini on Goldsmithing and Sculpture by Benvenuto Cellini. Translated by C. R. Ashby. Preface an introductory account of the origin and object of the treatises and of cellini's position as craftsman and author by c r ashby this translation is intended for the workshop and to bring home to english craftsmen and more particularly to my colleagues and pupils at essex house the methods and practice of the goldsmith of the renaissance it is with this end in view that the work has been undertaken and i am in hopes that the knowledge of this may induce my critics to give it a kindlier reading aware as i am of its many shortcomings to the translator of the treatises two things are necessary italian scholarship and a thorough knowledge of workshop technicalities these two qualities are difficult perhaps impossible to combine and i am conscious of grave deficiencies in both but more especially in the former my endeavour has been to follow the lead set me by john addington simmons and to make this first english translation of the treatises serve if but in some far-off measure as a continuation volume to his masterly translation of the autobiography i have in many cases therefore adopted his manner of handling the subject but inasmuch as the more technical and less directly personal matter with which the treatises deal demands a somewhat different treatment i have sought to retain what i would call the workshop vernacular without at the same time sacrificing the archaism of the old italian dialect cellini's graphic touch which gives their manifold brilliancy to the varying passages of that wonderful autobiography is equally evident in the treatises but this very vividness increases the translator's difficulty the book is full of amusing workshop pictures and anecdotes but it's always a workshop book cellini sees each process before him as he describes it we however only hear the description we do not see the process hence it is often to the expert metal worker alone that some of the more complex technical narrations appeal while the translator is as frequently in doubt as to whether he has realised the picture the author sought to draw if in my english rendering of some of these pictures i have gone astray i trust that my errors may be pointed out by those who are better able to follow the author's meaning apology is perhaps scarcely necessary for what will often appear to be loose or ungrammatical english this may be an offence to the stylist or the pedant and it certainly at first sight jars in what purports to be a scientific textbook it would have been perfectly easy for me to cut out the improper stories trim up the phrases and give precision accuracy and even grammar to certain of the sentences but this would not have been cellini we have him not writing but rapidly and with a delightful forgetfulness and confusion talking his treatises to a scribe and then omitting to revise them it is the spirit therefore of the spoken word 
not the careful writing that i have sought to render another difficulty hampers the translator the absence of any living workshop tradition upon which to fall back when his subject becomes too technical in our day of the subdivision of labour the study of the eight branches of the glorious art of goldsmithing as it was in benvenuto's time is a thing of the past except in a few instances where workshops are conducted with the enthusiasm of the artist rather than with the itching fingers of the tradesman there is no such thing as an all-round grasp of the art such as cellini postulates to the tradesman the sculptor's ghost the working jeweller whether of birmingham bond street or clerkenwell in the thousand and one gimcrack shops where they sell merry thought brooches and our latest stock of christmas presents the glorious art of goldsmithing has no meaning or rather is a thing not of eight branches but of a hundred subdivisions fanned into existence by a hundred callous machines and workshop tradition has been destroyed by the trade for the same reason the circle of readers will be small to those of us who in recent years have been seeking to lift the art of the goldsmith out of the slough of industrial despond to show once more what the human hand and fancy can create and to relegate without repudiating it the machine to its right place in relation to human endeavour all this manifold production of rubbishy trinkets useless ornaments and things made for the market is stupid and wasteful and makes for the destruction not the ennobling or beautifying of life but though small the circle of my readers will be an earnest one to such as are setting the standard of modern art and craft to those who are fighting the trade and seeking to relate the creations of their hands to the reasons for existence in life this book of the aspirations and traditions of the old italian will have some value fortunately their number is increasing not only in england but in europe and in the united states in the workshops of men like frampton alfred gilbert simmons fisher nelson dawson among the artists of glasgow and birmingham or among the keener creative spirits in new york whom i have found ready to welcome every genuine inspiration of the hand will the real readers be found it is perhaps not my province as a translator to criticise the artistic merit of cellini's work but as my hope in placing his treatises before english craftsmen is to familiarise them with his methods i may perhaps be allowed to give a few words of warning we must not take cellini at his own valuation and we must remember that he did not draw that subtle distinction between designer and executant that we nowadays are wont to do the fact that every aesthetic criticism is inevitably biased by the style of its period must be taken into account by the student if such criticisms as i myself speaking as an artist should venture to make are to be of value to him to cellini's best-known critics this applies in equal measure vasari delaborde milanese brinkman simmons have each had their point of view so to speak to some like vasari it has been coloured by what the germans call die vol renaissance 
of which cellini in the art of goldsmithing was undoubtedly the central figure to others like delaborde it was influenced by the romantic reaction of the early nineteenth century and to them his work was an exploded myth criticised from the modern point of view the point of view that distinguishes between goldsmith and sculptor between craftsman and designer we cannot rank him among the highest there is a want of feeling for proportion in such work as we have of his and the whole is marred by the overcrowded detail often very exquisite in itself of the parts the craftsman indeed invariably overpowers the artist above all there is a want of spirituality in all his more important work a want of refinement of soul if one might so term it a vulgarity there is none of the evertheia of donatello the graciousness of ghiberti or duccio the mingled strength and sweetness of verrocchio the simple grandeur of pisanello michael angelo's manner perhaps we can trace but of his inspiration and his self-control there is none if we take cellini from the point of view he would himself have wished us to criticise him he challenges us first as a sculptor and a designer of the figure in this sphere however he falls far short of the standard he calls upon us to judge him by affected and uneven and imperfect in handling is his work when set beside that of earlier masters attenuated as we see in the nymph of fontainebleau thick and exaggerated as in the perseus at florence leaden and stiff as in the neptune and cybele of the salt there is about his figures always something manqué they seem indeed to have in them the effort of a decaying school much the same criticism applies to his work as a medalist there is an absence of reserve and the fine feeling for his limitations which puts him to my mind far beneath sperandio merende francia or other of the great cinquecento medalists and it needs no artist to point to the superiority of the greek coins with which with redoubtable modesty he compares his own to estimate his position as a jeweller is all but impossible as there is not one jewel remaining that can be authenticated as his if however we may be allowed to gauge his reputation as an artist from such pieces as are attributed to him in the rothschild vienna paris and chantilly collections and of which i give some specimens on page twenty two and twenty four i should be inclined to place him on an equal footing with any of the great masters of the early renaissance or the middle ages in any country the reasons of this are not far to seek jewellery is before all others an art of limitations an artist cannot but but put less of himself into a gem than into a statue he is necessarily more cabined further cellini made most of his jewellery as a young man in florence and rome when the traditions of the florentine workshop which reared brunelleschi donatello ghiberti were still fresh upon him and before he had as yet attempted the impossible task of translating the gusto grando of michelangelo into minor craftsmanship subject to the disproving of the attributions 
i give therefore to cellini as a jeweller an equal place with the artists of greece and japan with those of spain england and germany in the middle ages and the renaissance whose works are known to us but as medalist goldsmith and sculptor i would place him on a much lower footing my whole criticism might be summed up briefly thus he was a very first-rate craftsman but a very second-rate artist the autobiography and the treatises of cellini must be read together they tail into one another the former gives the life of the man the second the methods of the craftsman both alike bring out the writer's strong personality a few words are needed as to their bearing upon one another and the original of the present translation both the vita and the trattati were dictated by cellini to amanuenses and feeling their stylistic imperfections he offered both after their completion to literary friends to polish and refine before publication the vita he sent to the great historian benedetto varchi who had the good taste and the wisdom to leave the manuscript as it was saying that he preferred it in its rough and unpolished condition the latter was placed in less tactful hands and gerardo spini a literateur of the florentine academy to whom this task has with good reason been attributed undertook its recasting to the no small detriment of the original in this polished and emasculated form the trattati first appeared and for three hundred years remained the editio princeps being published in florence in the shape of a very beautiful volume in fifteen sixty eight three years before cellini's death it was not until eighteen fifty seven that carlo milanesi working on the lines of francesco tassi who had in the marciana rediscovered the original manuscript gave to the world the work as cellini had originally dictated it it is on the trattati of the marcian codex therefore and not of the first edition that this translation is based cellini is fortunate in having been handled in our own day by four eminent and scholarly men and to the work of each of these am i indebted milanesi eighteen fifty seven may be placed first and his admirable and exhaustive edition of the trattati cannot be too highly praised herr justus brinkmann followed him in eighteen sixty seven with his excellent translation of the trattati into german and his very able comparative treatment of the work of the monk theophilus with that of the cinquecento artist in eighteen eighty three eugene plon brought out his splendid volume on the life and works of cellini especially valuable for its illustrations and the critical investigation of the authentic and attributed works of the master the work of our own john addington simmons is familiar to most english readers and it is to the study of his masterly translation of the vita that i owe my first introduction to cellini to his memory i would wish here to express my gratefulness and perhaps the best expression of this is in the assurance that through his introduction to cellini has grown up the wish to familiarize the methods of the renaissance workshop among english metal workers and particularly among the metal workers of the guild of handicraft for whom this book is written 
my thanks are due to messrs plon and c for their kind permission to reproduce the box originally used in monsieur eugene plon's volume and which illustrate in this book the various examples as cellini describes them and i am indebted to many friends artists and scholars for the most part who have helped me with difficulties both in the text and in the workshop to mr and mrs de morgan and captain victor ward for many hours of helpful and i fear sometimes tedious revision to miss constance blount for her great assistance with the enamelling chapter and mr virtue tebbs for his advice among the coins to mr wenlock rollins and mr t sterling lee in the complicated passages dealing with casting and the making of furnaces and above all to professor roberts austin and professor church not only for their invaluable help on all points dealing with metallurgy and stones but also for their kind assistance in correcting the proofs of the whole book i have likewise to thank for their courtesy in allowing me to refer to them in one way or another over technical and literary difficulties mr haywood sumner mr m hewlett professor giglioli of naples and professor ferguson of glasgow c r ashby essex house bow e end of preface